Everyone says Targaryens are closer to gods than to men, but they say that because of our dragons. Without them, we're just like everyone else. The idea that we control the dragons is an illusion. They're a power man should never have trifled with. One that brought Valeria its doom. If we don't mind our own histories, it will do the same to us. Targaryen must understand this to be king. Or queen. I'm sorry, Rhaenyra. I have wasted the years since you were born. Wanting for a son. From Providence, Rhode Island, welcome to The House of the Dragon with Mary and Blake. It's a podcast dedicated to House of the Dragon on HBO. So sit back, relax, and let's talk about fire and blood. everyone my name is mary larson gotta tell you my name is blake and that that music forgot how good it is <laughs> like just gave it's our podcast intro and it gave me chills that's how much of a dork i am mm-hmm. <laughs> hey we're all here for it so as i said in the beginning um our names are mary and blake we are a professional nerd podcasting couple from the littlest state in the United States, Rhode Island. And we are so excited to be doing this show and covering this show on HBO. Many of you listening may already know us from our other podcasts. We have done uh, many. I don't even know how many we've done by now. Oh my goodness, I think we're upwards of 12 or 13 Yeah, shows. well over a dozen. And you can see all the things we've done by simply going to Mary and Blake. But if you are here to talk House of the Dragon, so are we. And we're really active on a few um, social media channels, in particular Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All you need to do is search Mary and Blake. And then if you do that, you can also find uh, the Mary and Blake Facebook group, which is a unique and fun environment that is totally free. Just uh, just a good place where all the Mary and Blake nerds and the, what we like to call the nerd clan go and uh, talk about all the things that they love, including Game of Thrones and House of the Dragon. And that is that. Marvin, holy smokes. Woo! We're back, baby. We're back in Westeros. We sure are. I'm ready to go. I forgot how much I loved Westeros. I forgot how much I loved being in this world and and what it means and the languages and the houses and the sigils and, you know, the house mottos and it just this fine tapestry of of mythology. It's just such a it's like Lord of the Rings. A lot of people argue that, you know, Game of Thrones is kind of a Lord of the Rings ripoff. I I mean, I'm not going to go there, but it it just feels big and sprawling. And yet, at the same time, I feel like this show is kind of small in a way. Uh, and I think we'll get into that once we get into the rest of this episode. Mm. But I'm happy. I'm happy that we're back in Westeros. We're here for House of the Dragon. And it just feels good to be back in Game of Thrones world. Agreed. Agreed. Well, our friends, um, you know, when you are listening to this podcast, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button in your podcatcher of choice, as that will allow you to have the newest episode sent straight to your device. On that note, let's get into the show.
All right, my love, this episode was the first episode of House of the Dragon, episode 101, entitled Heirs of the Dragon. The director was Miguel Sapochnik. You know Miguel Sapochnik because he has directed many episodes of Games of Game of Thrones, uh, including, as a matter of fact, uh, The Bells, The Long Night, The Winds of Winter, Battle of the Bastards, Hard Home, and The Gift. I mean, all super, you know, pardon the pun, but hard-hitting episodes mm-hmm. of Game of Thrones. And he is the co-showrunner of uh, House of the Dragon. If you liked his uh, directing style, some other uh, projects that he's been a part of uh, include Falling Skies, uh, Fringe, Banshee, Revolution, uh, Under the Dome, uh, also Masters of Sex, True Detective, and Altered Carbon, as well as Iron Fist. So, Go check those uh, shows out if you like it. And it feels like, Mary, he has some roots uh, in the the bad robot J.J. Abrams world when you have when you talk about shows like Revolution and Fringe. So it's just a cool little how you could see a tree of directors and, and, and modalities and, and, and influences in, in directing styles and where they begin. Uh, the writer was Ryan J. Condal. Now, you may not know that name. That's okay. He, too, is the co-showrunner of House of the Dragon, along with Miguel Sapochnik. And a funny thing, Mary, he was hand-selected by George R.R. R. Martin, Germ, as we like to call him, as, as the rest of the world likes to call him, I suppose, hand-selected to be the writer of this show. By, by Gurm. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah, really, like, he was just this super mega fan, and they became good acquaintances a- after Ryan Condal approached him about Game of Thrones, and they talked about the world and everything, and he was hand-selected. And it, Ryan Condal's, uh, w- you know, works include uh, the, the movie Hercules, which was not a great film, uh, but also Rampage, which was a better film. Uh, in addition to, he was the showrunner and creator of the show Colony, which, by the way, also has a nun, another fun little bad robot tie-in because that was the show that starred Sawyer after Lost. Ah, uh, yes. So that's a lot of fun there. Uh, and then, of course, he has created House of the Dragon, and he's also the screenwriter for the upcoming Highlander, which is, uh, is going to uh, star Henry Cavill, and he is also doing the remake of Logan's Run. So some really big stuff here for Ryan Condal and a, and a really big up and coming name in the in the Hollywood world. So the fact that we have a chance to have him as the showrunner for House of the Dragon, I think is a really big deal. So that is that. Marvin, uh, we always we always have a you know, a system that we do these things. We go through the director and the writer and the episode title as well as an episode recap. It's very short. And then we get into what we call our flame ratings for what for at least for this particular show. So can you give us a small episode recap? Yeah, of, of course. This episode? So in this episode, for those of you who watch the show in the future, and maybe you've been able to binge, you lucky ducks, mm-hmm. um, in this episode, the premiere, it starts off with a wicked old king who is not feeling well, and he lost his two sons, and so he has no idea who's going to take over the throne. He basically has, um, I think, a sister, and then... Uh, 
some other like prince or something. Oh, it's grandchildren. We got grandchildren. We got an older grandchild, daughter, and then a younger grandson. And of course, thanks to just patriarchy being patriarchy, they say, oh, you should give it to the young one. Ha ha ha, the boy. Doesn't matter when they were born. Okay, so then the show mostly takes place with King Viserys, the boy grandson. And um, he doesn't have his own male heir. He does have a teenage daughter, a young daughter, maybe preteen. I don't really know how old she is. And and his wife is currently pregnant with their fifth pregnancy. And he is hoping that it is a boy. Alas, the mother passes away during the grossest birth scene ever. And the baby <laughs> passes away. It was a boy, but he dies. Um, Viserys, um, he has a brother who was pretty pumped to potentially be the heir. But at the end of the episode, Viserys says, I'm not giving it to my brother because he's crazy. And I'm going to give it to my daughter instead. And they have like a little crowning ceremony um, at the Iron Throne. Interesting. Uh, a way. Uh, it's an interesting way to start this series. Uh, immediately, we're getting right into it. And you can feel the difference. What I don't want this podcast to be, I don't want this podcast to be, well, this was Game of Thrones, and this is House of the Dragon, and this is how this was, and this is how this is. I I don't want that to be that. And by the way, for those of you listening, Mary and I did podcast about Game of Thrones. Uh, We podcasted about the last season. She and I are massive fans of Game of Thrones. I read all the books, or at least up until Winds of Winter, which, of course, we're all waiting for. Uh, Mary did not read the books just so you know, I did purchase the book Fire and Blood for Mary, but she has not yet read it. So um, we're going to go from there. What? Hashtag COVID. <laughs> so so uh, we're going to go from the for this show from the perspective of that we're both show watchers, massive fans of Game of Thrones. Uh, and I am pretty well versed in the history of Westeros. And, and what- I'm really good at playing Game of Thrones Risk. So I feel <laughs> incredibly ready to crush this. No joke, friends. I win. Mary's all the really time. good at it, man. She, she, <laughs> regular Risk, not as much. But, but Game of Thrones Game Risk? Game of Thrones Risk? I am a Targaryen. Well, you know, you always play House Stark. I know, but I'm saying I crush the world like I'm riding a dragon (laughs) in the game of risk. I know. You're not lying. Not lying. All right. So as I said before, we have a rating system for all of the episodes of television that we cover. Uh, It is specific to each show, and it is in context to that show. So, for example... Uh, for This Is Us, we rated it in Lemonades. And for Outlander, we rated it in Kilts. Uh, and for uh, for The Last Kingdom, we we rate it in Shields. And for this particular show, we're going to... Ra- I was going to rate it by Dragons, like we did for our Game of Thrones podcast. podcast. But I feel like if I rated it in Dragons, we are going to be saying Dragons constantly. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to become one of those things where you hear that word and then you realize how awkward it is to say that all the time. I love how you're saying I when really it was me who pointed that out to you. No, it's true. But once you said it, I was like, yeah, that, 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 that makes sense. Like, I was like, oh, what do you think it should be? Well, it should, of course, be dragons. But then you were right. It's, yeah. it's just ridiculous it's if you say it's it constantly. dragons all the time. And I don't want to do that. So we're going to rate this one in flames. You know what? Because it's it's dragon adjacent. Okay? And, I, and I'll take that. So, Mary... Mm-hmm. As you know, we rate it in context to each episode. 
uh, well, in, in each show. So a rating of five flames is the best version of House of the Dragon. And a rating of one flame is the worst version of House of the Dragon. But just because something is five for House of the Dragon doesn't mean it's a five for This Is Us or or Outlander or what you know any other show. It's just it's within context to that show itself, unless of course we get into the five plus system, which that is the, a great episode of television overall, regardless of the show. Having said that, Mary, how many flames are you given episode one, the premiere uh, heirs of the dragon? Giving it a four, a solid four. Oh. Wow. For those of you who don't know, Mary is a very <laughs> generous grader, and this is on the low end for her. I am shocked that we got a four out of this one. Ah, then you don't know me too well. Uh, well, no, I mean, but like, usually, you know, you're in the four, five to five range for most episodes of television. Agreed. Which is why I'm saying I'm kind of shocked that you're in, you're in the four range here. Well, I'll tell you, frequently in premiere episodes of television... I've got a problem getting the train yeah, started. And yeah. I always said that in regards to Game of Thrones episodes, so this uh, seasons. So this actually, I'm not surprised that this is on the lower side for me. Mm-hmm. As I find my time in Westeros takes a little while to get going. That's true. Plus, new listeners. Uh, I'm not good with blood. <laughs> Which is ironic, considering how much of a fan of Game of Thrones you are and this world. And we will get into that. How about you, Blake? What is your Flames rating? I'm giving this one a 3-9. This may be the closest we've ever been. I know. I know. Sometimes we sometimes we equal, but most of the time, I would say 99% of the time, we're, we're way off. Yes. I'm giving this one a 3-9. And that doesn't mean I don't like it. It doesn't mean that uh, I think it's it's bad or whatever. But Mary, like you, I feel like this is the premiere. And it didn't blow my doors off. It, it just, it didn't. It, I think it's good. I think there are great things about it. And I think there are great things to come. Didn't blow my doors off. And that's okay. We'll get into that. Normally now, Mary, we do our GBG, which is our, our little, our best way of, of taking the good with the bad. And that is our good, our bad, and our great. So what do you have for your good, your bad, and your great? All right. My good is Graham McTavish. Who, oh, yes. Who, um, for those of you who are not giant Graham fans like myself, he seems to be like the personal knight for the princess. Yes, Princess Rhaenyra. So he's the one that is talking with her frequently, especially in the beginning. And you see him a couple of times in the episode. And I just love that man. And I will follow him wherever he goes, whether he is a dwarf, a knight, a Scottish... Laird's brother. I mean, I am War Chief. Yes. Get, it, get it right. No, I'm I'm I am getting it right and I'm putting him in his place. <laughs> but uh yeah, I just love that man. Big fan of Graham McTavish, of course, from uh, how we are most specifically aligned yes. with him, which is Outlander. Yes. Uh my bad is I did not enjoy how much blood there was in this episode and I almost could have handled it if it was just on the battlefield. As I said earlier, I am not a blood fan. I find it incredibly gross. But yeah, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, you got to watch some blood. We also podcast about the show The Last Kingdom, for example. A lot of blood in warfare. What really pushed it over for me 
was the birth scene mm. um, and how graphic that was because I feel like there's been other uh, C-section births in television that have still been traumatizing for the viewer, but this was on a whole different level. And I'm, I'm in particular thinking about the C-section in The Walking Dead. Uh, which happens in season one or season two. Um, The wife of the lead, she's pregnant. Same thing, baby's breech, and she needs to have the baby cut out. And um, this is all happening in a different way and different stressful situations because there's zombies all around. (laughs) But this was just so incredibly uh, bloody. And um, because I'm not great with blood, but also just as a knowledge for our our listeners, if you're new, I went through two miscarriages last year. Um, so just things around birth and pregnancies are tough for me anyway to watch. And then that was a lot. So that was definitely my bad. And I can... I can totally tell you I probably will not be rewatching this episode a lot and if I ever do I will be skipping through the entire birth scene uh, I don't blame you it was a lot and then my great yep is it's good to be back in Westeros yes absolutely good to be to be back feels good you know and Mary you bring up the birth scene and, and I I kind of want to bring this up because that's actually my good um, it, not necessarily the birth scene itself but the editing of the birth scene along with the battlefield scene not battlefield but you know the, the tourney scene how that was spliced together and, and what the, what that means for each of the characters, uh, in particular their relationships to their duty and what is, what they're supposed to do uh, in terms of men and how they handle their issues and women and how they handle their issues uh, within this world. I will say uh, I, I'm, I'm brought back to our interview with Ira Stephen Bear, who mm-hmm. was uh, you know basically the second in charge of, of Outlander. Uh, during seasons one and two, when he talked about the um, the final jail scenes between uh, two of the main main characters, uh, Jamie and Blackjack Randall, when he said, "Listen, there was th- there was this very graphic scene at the end of this at the end of the at the end of the season one," and he's like, "Listen, this happened. It happened in the books, and we were going to be honest about it, and we weren't going to shy the camera away. We were going to tell the story, and it's up to the listener. It's up to the you know the viewer to accept it for what it is, and if they want to turn their way." turn away from the uh, But I feel like there should have been a graphic warning. I feel like there was a proper graphic warning for Outlander. And I know that there's graphic warnings that are written for like sexual assault warning and graphic, you know, bloodshed for battles. And I feel like this one deserved a graphic warning for a difficult childbirth scene because 50% of our population are of child rearing um abilities to be honest (laughs) yeah and um you know uh, no i hear what you're saying just uh, to me i feel like there should have just been a little not that they should have not done it but i feel like they should have at least warned the viewers because i don't i don't know if they realize how dramatic whereas people who watch sexual assault television episodes do mostly get the proper warnings. Yeah, I hear I hear what you're saying. I think the person that is the devil's advocate would say there is a warning at the beginning of the episode. It it tells you that there's, you know, graphic, you know, content that's in, that's going to be coming. There's blood that's coming. Uh it just in the rating systems alone, which are presented to us as viewers. 
before the episode even begins. Mm-hmm. But I agree, I hear what you're saying that maybe there there could be a specific uh, call out before the episode begins, as there are episodes of television that do the certain things for sexual violence, as you said, or you know, um, or even when we watched Obi Wan, it was like, hey, listen, th- there's this scene that's coming up here. Um, this is pretty graphic, and it's because of this. And of course, I don't want to spoil it for those of you who haven't watched it yet. But you know, they have this specific warning ahead of Obi Wan. So I hear what you're saying, Mary. Uh, I get it, uh, but I still appreciate the fact that you know they were honest to what it was, and as hard as it was to watch, it was even hard for me to watch. Um, but as as hard as it was, it was honest, and it's up to the viewer to to look at it just at this as the same way as you know when, when we were viewers of Outlander, uh, watching Wentworth Prison, that felt like okay, we're gonna be we're gonna tell the story as it is, and we're gonna we're not gonna let we're not gonna shy away. We're gonna be brave and tell it the way that it is. Um, my bad. I will say that there is not a character yet that I can cling to. Uh, and that is hard for premieres to do um, in one way or the other, right? Like if there's one, if you really like bad guys, there's not like a bad guy to like, to like. Uh, and if you like the good guy, there's not a good guy to like, mm-hmm. you know, there's no, and I hate to keep comparing and I swear I'm not going to do this, but there's no Aria. No, you can. Here's the thing. I don't think we should feel bad about comparing Game of Thrones. I 100% don't. Should we be doing it the entire time? No. Will this show grow its own legs and we can think about it in its own way? You bet. But I agree. There's no... All right, if you wanted to use, I mean, I hear what you're saying. If if you want to use a different analogy, okay, let's talk Lost. There's no Hurley, right? There's no there's no one that you can immediately say, or there's no Jack. I that yes, okay, boom, I'm in on this character. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, since you're since we're talking about it, we're in the Game of Thrones world. Um, yeah, there's no Arya. There's no Jon Snow. There's no Tyrion. Uh, and really, if you're into the if you're into the bad guy like I am. There's no Jamie Lannister. Like, mm-hmm. it's just kind of people who are there and they have their motivations, but they're not someone that I'm immediately mag- magnetized towards, right? And I think that's that's hard to do in premieres. It's a special thing to do in premieres. Uh, so I don't blame the show for not having one yet, but it's it's difficult. But my great, though... And it kind of goes along this line of, okay, we're in the Game of Thrones world, but we're in our own show. And I love, love, love the fact that the show immediately just brings us back into the world and it shows us, you know, the dragons instantly. And then it shows us all the different places we are, you know, with which we are familiar from the Game of Thrones world almost instantly, but they're doing it in ways that are completely different than what the, the visual language of Game of Thrones established. Like when we saw uh, the Red Keep, you see it from an angle that you've never really seen before. You know, it's like kind of down low uh, from a, you know, from more a straight on 
view as opposed to like the high up, you know, profile view of the Red Keep Mm -hmm. uh, that we got in Game of Thrones. It's just a different perspective. It's saying, yes, we are part of this world, but what your the visual language is saying, we're part of this world, but we're going to give you something different. We're going to give you our own take. And then when we go through uh, the Red Keep itself and we see the, the space where Cersei had, that, had the world or Westeros painted on the oh floor. Oh my God, I didn't even recognize that. We see that. We see the, the staircase where the mountain and, um, and the hound f- fought each other. But again, it's all from a different perspective. We're all seeing it in different angles that we normally did not see them in Game of Thrones. I just think that is so smart of the showrunners and i love the fact that we were given our introduction back to the world in a way that's comforting but visually distinct mm-hmm. see what i'm saying see what mm-hmm. i'm saying mm-hmm. all right so what we like to do here on mary and blake media uh for all of our shows is that we actually like to include as much of listener feedback as we can uh because it's not just us who have a voice it's you and your voice deserves to be heard. We just happen to be two nerds with microphones in front of our faces. So we encourage you to get in touch with us. We encourage you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or even leave us voicemail messages at maryandblake.com. Just click the voicemail button and you'll be sent right to our voicemail box. And you can have your voice heard on a little segment we like to call the small council. Marvin, are you ready to get in? Sure am. Let's do it. His Grace has many cares. He entrusts some small matters to us that we might lighten the load. We are the lords of small matters here. All right, so this one comes from Jennifer Barrett on Facebook. She says, after just one, one episode, I'm all in on House of the Dragon. The various characters and the performances instantly drew me in, whereas it typically takes me several episodes to warm up to a new show. And since I have no basis for comparison when calculating my flame rating, I'll consider this episode in relation to episodes of Game of Thrones. My rating, four flames. Mm -hmm. My good. The establishment of character relationships and power dynamics, which is essential for my engagement with any television show. My bad. Not really the show's fault, but I kept expecting to see pointed ears sticking out from all the flowing platinum blonde locks on the characters. I didn't notice this on Game of Thrones when it was only Daenerys, but the multitude of characters walking around with elvish-looking Lord of the Rings Mm. hair was a tad bit distracting. Yes, I totally agree. My great. The casting is truly inspired, especially Patty Considine and Matt Smith. Neither neither of them seem like obvious choices for this show, but they're knocking it out of the proverbial park so far. Same goes for Emma Darcy, who effortlessly fills the screen and commands our attention as Princess Rhaenyra. I can't wait to hear your thoughts along with the rest of my illustrious nerd clan colleagues. Teresa Colleen McGuire says Four Flames great premiere her good was the pacing for this episode it worked well her bad was I haven't warmed up to the new characters yet extra bad was that horrible birthing scene that poor woman and mother and Teresa's great was that she loved all of the costumes set and world building bonus great Outlander actors appearing in the new show overall the show in her opinion is off to a great start she enjoyed the episode a lot and was uh, covered in the episode she said a lot was covered in the episode but pacing was well done she's immersed in this new world with the familiar callbacks to the future Game of Thrones Russell McVicker says three and a half flames 
He also says, I realized I had a lot of introductions to make, situations to describe, and I didn't care for all the dark interior scenes, which seemed to be more than 50% of the first episode, in which I had difficulty even making out faces. I was <laughs> straining my eyes. Only deep character thus far is Damon, initially emotionally moved by the Queen's death, but aggrieved in a brothel, given menial jobs when he felt he should be the hand of the king. He's defeated in the tournament and then scorned as the heir for a remark he made while drunk and grieving. I'm sure others will follow suit, but I was expecting that winter is coming and was not disappointed other than it wouldn't be for another 170 plus years. Overall, not bad, but nothing spectacular so far. So generally, we like we said, Mary, we like to include our listener feedback. We don't mm-hmm. go crazy with it uh, unless there there is, of course, a request for listener feedback episodes, which we have done in the past for other shows. Um but we're going to keep it, you know, relatively calm <laughs> for the first episode. Only yes. a few, and if we, if if people want more, we'll do more episodes. So, Mary, um, you know, it's funny because the show invites this, so I feel like we have to start with this, and that's the ending, the prophecy, if you will, from from Aegon the Conqueror that he. Winter is coming. Yeah, winter is coming. Uh, Viserys says this to to Princess Rhaenyra that it's not just you know this this isn't glory like glory glory filled. This is not a glorious thing. This is the hardest job in all of Westeros. And not only that, Mary, it's the most dangerous seat in Westeros, the Iron Throne. And on top of all of that, we have this inherent knowledge of this prophecy that winter is coming and it has been passed down from Aegon the Conqueror all the way down to Ceres and now it's being passed to Rhaenyra. And the big deal of this is that it's called a, a song of ice and fire, obviously, but this is knowledge that is connecting Game of Thrones to House of the Dragon. And, and implicit in this prophecy is that this knowledge is lost somewhere mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. we don't have that knowledge in Game of Thrones and it helps recontextualize Game of Thrones in, in a different way. Did you like the fact that this was included or did you not? Or And do you think it helps House of the Dragon in any particular way? I particularly liked it. I liked that they included this. You know, one of the things that captivated me so much for the Game of Thrones premiere, and once again, I don't care. I am comparing shows. I am here for it it's westeros it's a prequel it's happening yeah it's happening i i think i think the funny thing is too mary like (laughs) the show kind of invites it it kind of invites its own comparison because of this like as i said this prophecy but it also includes game of thrones in the title it just it's like game of thrones house of the dragon and i would also like to say that if the show was like completely separate, if it was in the world, but com- like the way that Prometheus was kind of completely separate from Alien, mm-hmm. you know, so it didn't really make sense to compare the two because they were both visually different. The the language was different. At the same time, House of the Dragon and Game of Thrones are so visually similar in many like the the lighting and the style and i mean including miguel sapochnik is directing these episodes as the showrunner i think you're i think you're right in a sense that it does invite its own comparisons so that being said we start game of thrones with that incredible scene of the white walker like 
you know, all those people mm-hmm. in the north being slain and their bodies all weird and then nothing else comes of it for the rest of the episode and honestly for quite some time. It's true. You're yeah. sitting there scratching your head with this looming mystery. And one of the things that I worry about when it comes to prequels is we already kind of know what happens because we know the future, right? Yeah, we, so we call we know that things. George Lucas syndrome. And, <laughs> you know, you know who you can care about, you know who which families are going to rise. But in this note, because this takes place, what, 175, 200 years before Daenerys is even born, mm-hmm. I just love that the king was so adamant about there is going to be this war that includes the entire human race. All you know, that is why the conqueror, Aegon the Conqueror, conquered everything. Yeah. Not just because he wanted to rule everybody, but actually because we need all people to fight this crazy thing from the north. And we're gonna need all the help we can get. And it's coming. And we're the only ones that know. And you could tell that he's passionate about this. You could tell that he cares deeply about it. The poor thing, it doesn't even happen for 200 years. <laughs> Little does he know. Yeah. And uh, and so it's going to be interesting to me because, like you said, it becomes less of a reality. Like, it's not properly passed down through the Targaryens because Daenerys doesn't know about it. Mm-hmm. So at what point is it with the princess that she doesn't talk about it, that she doesn't think about it. Is this lost? Is this just for us? Is this our White Walker scene? Winter is coming, but that's it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, And it's also fair to start wondering when that knowledge is lost. Is it lost Mm -hmm. with it? Does she pass it down to her kid? I mean, because when you think about it, the the difference from, you know, the, the time difference is 172 years. That's essentially two generations, you know, you're looking at Viserys' kid, Rhaenyra, and then Rhaenyra probably has a child, and then that child probably has, uh, you know, the Mad King. You know, who we all know is what is when the the Targaryens fall off the planet, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, or, or at least overthrown by Robert Baratheon. So, like, when in that 172 years is that missing and how does it go missing? Why is it missing? It's just, it's an interesting question. And how does that dagger leave the Targaryens? Good point. That's a great point because that's the thing that, that, Mm -hmm. you know, comes back. Right. Mm -hmm. So very interesting. So it's these little things that to me, that is the white Walker scene that we're going to get this and we're going to know about it as the viewers but we may never talk about it again for a very long time. Yeah, and I wonder if that's the show just trying to help recontextualize the Game of Thrones, but also giving this weight to the kingdom so that you have an understanding of what it really means to be a Targaryen mm-hmm. and you know, uh, not give you a, a clue as to where it's going, but an understanding of what is going to be lost. What I didn't understand in that conversation was when he said that their being in control of the dragons is a facade, that it's not true. I don't understand. Does that mean... Well, like, they're not really in control of the dragons. Like, they, 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 the way that I took it was that they have a partnership, and, okay. and they, they don't, they're not gods. They don't control them. They just, they know how to utilize them. Mm-hmm. And eventually this is all going to go away, you know, and, and even Renera is smart enough to say, yeah, people think we're gods, but we're not, we're regular people. We just have dragons. 
And again, that is something that the show is acknowledging. And I think that the show is smart to just acknowledge this and acknowledge this off the jump. That way they get it done. And it's like, you know, it's, we, we talk about a lot, Mary, about infections in, in talking in, in, and just getting them fixed, you know, whether it's conversations with loved ones or, um, you know, talking about how shows deal with things or how people deal with things. If there's something that's bad and you know it's infected, do the work right away, cut it out, get it out of your system. That way it's gone and it's over and you can heal. I think the show is well aware of the fact that Game of Thrones itself ended in a way that was extraordinarily controversial and it knew okay we got to we got to kind of acknowledge this right away. Mm-hmm. And I think even to be honest the opening scene of Rhaenyra flying on the dragon mm-hmm. I think that's purposeful. <laughs> I don't want to say that it's it, that it's an apology, but I don't think it's a coincidence that Rhaenyra, the way that she was sitting, the way that when she comes off the dragon, they don't show her face immediately. Her hairstyle is very similar to what Daenerys had. I'm not sure if it's an apology. I'm not sure if it's like, hey, this is what could have been. But it just it felt oh, purposeful. I didn't feel that way. It felt purposeful, like. This is the thing that we want to do. I saw it as the person on the dragon doesn't matter right now. We're trying to show you this grand landscape and that there's a dragon. Yep. With someone with platinum hair on top. Fair enough. I mean, I, I get you. I'm, I'm throwing that up. I just throwing that out there. Just just coffee talk. Okay. Talk amongst okay. yourselves. Uh, what do you think about I, you, you mentioned the, the White Walker scene in, in Game of Thrones as the first scene, which I thought was a brilliant brilliant introduction to that world you know there is a uh, a vast difference to what happened in this particular episode which is almost like a prologue uh you know uh, lots of exposition you know you're you're being told what's going on and it's and it's introducing you to the history of the targaryens in a way that i did not expect what did you think of the the prologue that was given of her flying no 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 of um you know of uh, King Jaehaerys and oh. how that whole process began and you know like <laughs> to me I took it as once upon a time yeah 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 <laughs> an old king had to choose between two grandchildren a girl who was older and looked wiser and just frankly cooler <laughs> looked like she could actually do the job and then a jabroni who looked like he didn't want it at all with his pregnant wife but he got it but anyway. But he got it anyway because he's a dude. <laughs> so I guess, I guess it, it it's probably uh, indicative of you know the world that's to come and the problem that is going to be created uh, as a result of the choice that is made mm-hmm. uh, from this prologue. And normally I'm I'm a person who I like when television shows and movies just throw you right into the world. Like mm-hmm. it, um, you know, t- take for example Breaking Bad. Uh, you know, the first scene is of, you know, the flying pants, if you remember, right? And you're like, wait, why is there flying pants? What are we do? Why are there people like wearing gas masks? Why are we in an RV? Like, what is happening? Um, so I like when the show, when a show or a film throws you right into the world and expects you to just catch up. You know, you're, you're 
sorry, it, it, this world has been living without you, mm-hmm. and it will continue living without you when the episode stops, and you just have to keep up. However, given the nature of the sprawling mythology of the Targaryen family in Westeros itself, do you think that was a smart choice to give us the prologue so we had an understanding yeah. oh, in the yeah. context of the decision and what what leads to these problems? I also think it's important for us to understand the relationship of um, the the options, the people who are options, just mm-hmm. where they are in the Targaryen family yep. tree. I got you. No, I get you. And I actually, I kind of want to go over all the characters here because there are a lot of characters uh, and a lot of new people. And even though you think you're familiar with the Game of Thrones world, I mean, we're so far back in time that you just, you don't know who's who, what's what, where families stand. Mm -hmm. You don't know anything. And before I do that, though, I do want to have this conversation about why I think, I mean, like the reviews for this episode were all over the place. Like either it was like th- it was better than Game of Thrones or it was like really not great. Or then you have something in the middle, like kind of where we are, where it's like, hey, this is good, but and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that peace and happiness and establishment, it's boring. What we like as viewers is change. And we like the and, and, you know, pardon the use of the word, but the violence and the violent nature of change and not like, oh, I'm going to kill you with a sword. But like the the action of change is violent, not physical violence, but just the transformation of it and how things happen and, you know, what comes of it, ideas and thoughts and and people. It's just a violent act. <clears throat> and And that's the idea that we were, I think, thrust into for. Game of Thrones and, and, and many other shows, it's the, the drama is in the change. So when we f- see a society at its highest level of being, you know, like imagine watching a show about the Roman Empire where mm-hmm. it's the highest level of being and it just works. And it just works. Mm-hmm. It, it, that sucks. That's boring. I don't want to see something be great all the time. I want to see why it falls. I want to see... Who does the act? I mean, I love to see things that are great all the time. But, <laughs> but I think you get the premise of what I'm saying. Yes, Blake. Give give us some drama. So do you think that's why the reviews are all over the place? Because there isn't this inherent, like, oh, things are messed up. And this is the reason why. No, I mean, honestly, this is a lower rated show for me as of the premiere episode than normal. So... I appreciate that reviews are all over the place. I appreciate that what people like and love, people like and love. And I also appreciate that what people didn't like about this episode, I I get it. And this is not a show that I, Mary Larson, would be super excited to watch next week if I wasn't podcasting about it and if I wasn't gotcha. already a huge Game of Thrones fan. Right. Um, there's no one that I love and I need to love somebody in the first episode. I need to be rooting for somebody and I've learned over the years, thanks to podcasting, that I need to have patience. Oh, that sometimes we, we learned that especially me. with The Last Kingdom. Yes, it did take me a while, a while <laughs> to love someone in The Last Kingdom 
So I, I'm, I'm here and I am being patient and I am looking towards the things that I do like. And I think that that's part of the thing is maybe we don't know who we're supposed to love. I mean, this is a weird, incestual, crazy, dragon riding family that maybe we always need to feel on edge about. You know, they're all a little yeah. baddie. So that's okay. But I found the gore to be a bit too much. I found the sex to be a bit too much. Like Game of Thrones pushed things. They pushed the gore. They pushed the the sex on screen and, and what they would depict. And I feel like this episode came in being like, just in case you forgot, we're HBO and we could do whatever we want because we're HBO. So you feel like they were checking boxes almost? Yeah. Let's do blood. Let's do blood in a way that people haven't seen it. Oh, let's do like a really gruesome C-section. Perfect. Awesome. Here for it. Great. What else can we do? Oh, yeah, we need sex. Let's just have like a full-out brothel scene. Bubby's flying everywhere. People doing all sorts of styles. I want to see like every Kamra Sutra style in one shot. Do it now. Boom. Check. Whereas I feel like, yes, we like we had sex in the first episode of Game of Thrones. And it was, um, you know, a b- b- incestual. Mm-hmm. But it was that. And then we had the pushing of a child off a tower. And it was these things that were still brutal and still shook us. But I almost feel like this show is like, oh, we can't play small. Because people expect, you know, gore. They expect uh, in-your-face, lewd-natured things. So let's just give it all to them. And I'm hoping that this show doesn't have to continue the same level of gore and sex um, that it did in the premiere. Because I feel like that's a cop-out. Yeah, like it's almost like um, they're using it as a crutch, I think you're saying. Like, yeah, like, like okay, A, we're HBO and we can do this because we can. Yeah. B, this is the Game of Thrones world where you're used to blood, gore, and lots of naked people having sex in all weird ways. Um, and C, you're used to being shocked with gore. Yeah, Would you? could you argue, though, that they're using it as a palette setter where, where it's like, okay, remember, this is the world that you were in and... We're going to dive back in. I'm just saying I don't want the next episode to be the same level. Understood. We and get it. Yeah, okay. I, I got you. I got you. Um, and, the, you know, the funny thing is, Mary, too, you, you brought up, uh, you know, like brand, you know, hashtag spoilers, getting pushed out the window. It's not a spoiler, Blake. <laughs> Stop. It's a, I'm saying it in jest, Ma. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> uh, you mentioned brand being pushed out the window. And the funny thing is, I think what happens in this episode is that there's no... I mean, like there is a moment of change, and there is there is a, um, you know, uh, a cause of action, if you will. Like, you know, it's there's this there's this moment that sets the rest of the story off, which is Renera gets selected as the heir. Okay, mm-hmm. that is the inciting incident, if you will. Okay, mm-hmm. but I think what. Again, I, I said that at the top of our episode that the episode, that this show, this episode, didn't blow my doors off because there wasn't this, there wasn't a moment where I was like, "Whoa, like, wow, okay." Like you know, when when Brand got pushed out the window, that was a shocking moment, and yes. and not just for the sh- sake of the shock, because what that meant for the Lannisters, what that meant for the Starks, how that informed character choices that was purposeful mm-hmm. 
and it's not to say that the inciting incident for House of the Dragon isn't this big, giant, gobsmacking moment. It actually is within context of the show. But as a viewer, I feel like we saw that coming. Like we, we knew, we pretty much knew that was going to happen. Given how Damon was acting, given how the High Council was, um, was, was speaking with King Viserys, the way that, you know, King Viserys was, you know, like understood that, yeah, it's my brother, so he's got to be around. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to just like get rid of him. I feel like we all saw that coming. And that wasn't the moment that I think the show thought it was. And I also don't think the the passing of the knowledge of Aegon the Conqueror all the way down to Rhaenyra, I don't think that was the moment, the moment the show thought it was. I wish that they had like a White Walker theme playing subtly oh, during yeah. that speech. You know, I think that that would have been quite an interesting element. Yep. All right. So what do you think, Mavin? Do you want to go over all the characters that we have here? Okay. Um, that, you know, just to get a basic understanding of where we are, what we're doing, and, sure. and who we're dealing with. Okay. Uh, first, we have uh, the king, um, Jaharis. He is the guy that is the old king at the beginning. We're in Harren Hall mm-hmm. because Harren Hall is the largest. Um, at the time, the largest kingdom uh, or the largest building that could hold all of the lords and all the ladies and all the people from all of Westeros in one place. And that is where they have the ceremony to decide who is going to be the heir to Jaehaerys I. Okay? Mm-hmm. Jaehaerys I has a granddaughter who is Rhaenys. Rhaenys is the person that is the eldest daughter of his eldest son, so she has somewhat of a claim to, uh, to the throne. Uh, his son, both of his sons, had passed away. So she is the next in line, technically, according to blood. Although we have this other per- per- person who is Viserys. Now, Viserys is the eldest son of his second son. So that technically would put him behind Rhaenys in a familial, like if we're, if we're thinking in terms of like the English monarchy, right? He's kind of like the Prince Harry, if you will, I guess. Or he's like the 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 next person in line after what would be William, okay? He would be Albie. He would be Prince Harry's son. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. Uh, and then he's standing next to his pregnant wife, which I imagine is Rhaenys. Um, in Wait, his, who's his pregnant wife? Yeah, his pregnant Viserys wife. is pregnant wife? Yeah, and she's... It's not Rhaenys. No, 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 she's pregnant with Rhaenys. I imagine. Rhaenyria? Uh, Rhaenyra, 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 I'm sorry. Rhaenyra. You're right. I, you're right, I'm sorry. Uh, and his pregnant wife, her name is Emma. Next, we have, of course, that is Princess Rhaenyra, who is the daughter of Emma and Viserys. That is the person, you know, around whom most of this episode is focused. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we have uh, Viserys's brother, Damon, who was played by Matt Smith. Uh, and that was a person, you know, he, you, you obviously know who, who Damon is and what he has been doing. Then uh, Damon was once the master of laws. But of course, they did, he believed that they didn't apply to him. So they were made, he was then made a master of coin. But then at that point, he decided he liked spending money more than he liked counting it. So then they made him the commander of the city watch, which is we are all familiar with. The, hands with the left city. And right. Yes, that's right. Uh, and then we have uh, the rest of the small council where uh, um, we have Otto Hightower, who is the Hand of the King. And then we have Lord Lehman Beesbury, uh, and he is the Master of Coin, and a guy who 
hedges his bets, if you will. Then we have um, Lord Corliss Valerian, who is the master of ships. We have Grand Maester Melos and Lord Lionel Strong, who is the master of laws. And uh, those are the major players that we have so far. We also have uh, Otto Hightower's daughter, who he sends to go visit the king after uh, Emma dies, and she reads him a book, and she is the best friend of Queen Rhaenyra. I'm sorry, Princess Rhaenyra. And that those are the major players that Listen, we have. These so people far. have too many names that are like too much like each other. <laughs> so we're just going to make sure we always call her Princess Rhaenyra. Yes. Okay. Uh, so now we have our our setting of the table here for most of the characters. Did any of them stand out to you in any particular way with any decisions that were made, um, or how they're acting? Okay. First, we got to just let the lay of the land. This family is grossly incestual, okay? Yes. Everybody ends up having babies with their brother or sister. This is just how it was in the Targaryen st- situation. Um, I'm grossed out. Obviously, the Lannisters and Game of Thrones do this all the time. They're just banging left and right. But I feel like that's coming down the road. Yeah. <laughs> okay? Damon putting that necklace on Princess Rhaenyra. Oh, we're getting Gross. huge, huge incest vibes off gross. of Gross. Gross. Uncomfortably gross. Uh, and this is something, too, that I'm just going to... I want to find out her age, and I know, once again, things are different age-wise in this universe, but it just, like, red flags. Red flags left and right. <laughs> well, That's I mean, your niece. I, to, to be honest, in the world, the, the, the logistics of the world itself... I mean, the Targaryens did this to maintain the purity of their blood, right? So it wasn't just because, like, oh, we feel like Diddlin are sisters and cousins and brothers or whatever. It's because, like, yeah, but we also believe that's that probably is- why Emma lost so many babies. You know, incest is doesn't bode well for the offspring. Okay, Agreed. makes them crazy, makes them have a lot of issues developmentally. Which and- is King, which is why King Aerys, the Mad King, you know, it's theorized that he went mad because of the incest just it 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 turned his brain into popcorn mm-hmm. and that's why he went banana land yeah right so, so you know you bring up a great thing mary and that is why king Viserys, well it, the the birthing and and how the queen lost the babies and everything and everybody's looking at queen at king Viserys as this genuinely great guy which to be honest I feel like he is, which probably doesn't bode well for his character, no, given the world. Die. He's absolutely going to I mean, croak. he's got that boo-boo that just won't heal on the oh, back. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That is that is not going to end well for King Viserys. But I think a, 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 a subtle thing here is, is he really that great of a guy? Because he is pushing his wife to have more children when they probably know we probably shouldn't be having more kids. And the only reason why he's doing it is to get a male heir. I get it, though, because this has been the situation since his grandfather died. And that's the point. Like, that's the idea, right? And part of me wonders if that's why the grandfather even chose him to begin with. Because, oh, you already got a pregnant wife. 50-50, it's a boy. Mm -hmm. 
ah, let's do it. I mean, obviously they also picked him because he was a guy. I'm just saying it's going to be gross. There's going to be people hooking up with cousins and and brothers and all sorts of weird things. And it's just not going to, it's not going to be good, friends. If you don't like incest, just hold on tight. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. I just, I just, I don't like it, but I just... Ugh, gross. I mean, but it, I mean, it is what it is. And, and again, within the context you of the show, you know nothing, Jon Snow, and he sure didn't. Uh, within the context of the show, I think it it makes sense to what it is. Okay, can we move on from incest? Yes, absolutely. Okay, can we move on to fire? What do you mean? One of the things that I always found so interesting about Daenerys is how fire didn't hurt her. Oh, you know, yes. how she like walked into the pyre and out she came with the born dragons, and when. King Viserys has that wound on his back and it's not healing. And they're like, okay, can we cauterize it? It's not even like, of course you can. Because heat doesn't hurt me. Right, but maybe he's keeping that a secret. And and then he's putting his hands just delicately above all those candles by the dragon skull. Yeah. And I don't think he can withstand heat. I just like his brother, or uh, uh, Daenerys's brother, couldn't. I don't think King Viserys. Wow, that is a great can take. do it because he's just like lightly touching it, and he doesn't seem like confident and cocky when he's like, "Oh, of course you can cauterize." Wow, that is a great take, Mary. Because the, I took it the exact opposite, not the cauterizing, cauterizing part, but more specifically the flame part. I was looking at it like he had his hand in that flame, and he was looking at it like. Yeah, this doesn't hurt me at all. I took it very differently. And it's it's fascinating that we can take one scene and take completely opposite <laughs> perspectives from that. I was looking at it like he is the true king. He is a true Targaryen. This is what a Targaryen is supposed to be. But just like Daenerys' brother, same bloodline. And he couldn't handle the heat. So right. are you worthy? Are you worthy of the dragons? Now, we're not seeing the king ride a dragon. We're seeing Princess Rhaenyra ride the dragon. Yes. So who, like, I think that there's layers, I th- levels of, of how worthy of a Targaryen you are based upon your dragon abilities and the heat. Because uh, even Daenerys, like, taking a tub, she took, like, a wicked hot tub. And she kind of, like, seeked out heat. You know what I mean? There yes. were loads of candles and flames. Loads of flames throughout this episode. Yes. In candlelight, which uh, helps beautifully set the scene. Once again, I like that the Targaryens are almost always surrounded by fire. But... When I saw that candle, I saw it as what other people do when they put their hands above the flames. Like, wow, Is this really warm? How much can I handle? Versus I didn't see him doing something that a normal person couldn't do in yep. regards to heat. And there's also, the, you know, speaking of that too, Mary, this, there's this great scene as uh, Princess Rhaenyra is being, you know, introduced as the next heir. It shows her uh, the the her being introduced to the world uh, as the next heir. Uh, She's standing in front of the crowd and the first shot of her is of a flame. And then the focus changes and then it goes like she's in the background way out of focus, just Mm -hmm. profile view. And then the focus changes from the flame and it focuses on her through the flame. So I think we're going to see her do stuff with heat and fire. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. Okay. So we got the fire situation. I'm going to keep a close eye on how much fire is involved in Damon. 
I'm going to keep a close eye on how much fire is involved in the cousins of Princess Rhaenyra. Yeah. Um, so like the whole Targaryen line, but in my opinion, the King Targaryen, he doesn't got it. He doesn't have the Targaryen magic. Uh, see, I think that he does. And I think that also highlights how tragic of a fall it was for Daenerys. Because if you look at it as though, okay, if you can withstand flame, that means you're a true worthy Targaryen, okay? If if he can withstand the flame, that means he is a true worthy Targaryen, which thereby implicit in that means Daenerys was too, and yet she still fell from grace. And how tragic is that, right? I mean, and like the world... But what is a true worthy Targaryen? That's that's the point. You right? know, like I see a true worthy Targaryen not being good, but being powerful, like <sighs> a dragon, having strength and fire and domination. But it doesn't mean that they're right, and it doesn't mean that they're good. Yeah, which which. Um, and I do not see this king as a strong king. I see him very kind he's got his little like clay village he's working on he loved his wife you know he's he's gonna try to make up for being a bad dad you know he would be into train sets oh my gosh oh 100 (laughs) percent okay like he gets like a hug all right i'm i'm hopeful for him i'm hopeful for him i hope he doesn't go away and i hope he doesn't go crazy but I don't think he's like a worthy guy. I don't think he's long for this world. As a matter of fact, I think within the next uh, within the next two episodes, he's croaked. Oh. I think he's croaked. And you know what? Here's you know what we like to do too in Mary and Blake Media is we like to have you know our theories. Okay. You know some of them we used to call them you know our theories of the week or whatever. And lately they've turned into hot takes. Mm-hmm. So here's a hot take for you. Okay. We're setting, I feel like we're setting it up, or the show is setting it up so that King of the Series dies, and we believe that there's going to be a civil war between Rhaenyra and Damon. Because it feels like the show is setting those two up as adversaries. But. I don't think so. I think they're going to bang. Well, that was what I was going to say. I also think because of the necklace scene and how he comforts her, Renera, yeah. when he's like, your dad needs you right now. Like, that was an honest moment. I think he's worthy of fire. Damon? Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I, I want to see him on a dragon. Oh, uh, well, yeah, well, it, we technically did. When? Oh, yeah, when see, exactly, okay? Yeah. He's going to be fine with heat. In my opinion, he's going to be fine with well, heat. I guess what I'm getting at is this. I, I feel like to the the common audience member, the show is setting up Damon versus Rhaenyra. I don't. But even, okay, let's just go with the fact that, let's just say that they are. I don't think that that was what's going to happen because I think you're right. I think they team up. I think they, they get together. There's some incest going on with that relationship and they're actually going to fight Rhaenys for the crown. I think that is going to be the civil war. Yeah, I I um I think that we are not meant to love Targaryens. I don't think we are meant to trust Targaryens as the meek uh viewer. Yeah. You know, this isn't Lorelai Gilmore from Gilmore Girls. 
<laughs> I think if we look at Daenerys Targaryen as a true Nerd! Targaryen, worthy of walking through fire and yeah. birthing dragons after a long drought of dragons being born, of flying dragons, if that is the epitome of a Targaryen, yeah. a conqueress, then you need to know that that is what is going to win in this show. And so rather than rooting for the king with his boo-boos, okay, that's not like... That ain't it. No. You know, it's funny because at the beginning of the show, and as it alludes to in the prologue, you know, (sighs) Jaehaerys knew one thing. And that it wasn't going to be the outside of the, the world. The old dying king. Yeah, the, the dying king okay. knew that the outside world wasn't going to be what took down the Targaryens. It's kind of like the Avengers in Civil War. Yeah. Uh, you know, Zemo knew that anybody that tried to fight the Avengers was going to lose. But if the Avengers killed themselves, that's how they would fall. Yes. And uh, that's the way that I look at this. It's a matter of succession and how that falls apart. And I think that's probably one of the more intriguing things of what this show is going to be about. And that's why I said at the top of our episode, as big as House of the Dragon is, and as like beautiful and clearly it has far more of a budget than what Game of Thrones did when it first began, uh, because of the equity that Game of Thrones gave it, um, as big and as, as beautiful as it is, it's actually a far smaller show in scope. Uh, because we are focusing particularly on one family. Now, that doesn't mean like we won't get, I think, um, you know, conflicts with uh, like the the guy that took Damon down in the in the um, in the jousting scene, Sir uh, Tristan Cole. Mm-hmm. Like, I think we're going to get more of him. You know, I'm sure we're going to get more of the Hightower uh, brother that Damon defeated. Yes. Um, like that's going to happen, and you know, I'm sure that there's going to be more relations between. Um, I, I think her name is uh, what the heck's her name? Like the the uh, the, the high tower daughter. I can't remember her Just name. Just the princess's best yeah, friend. The princess's best friend. Off the top of my head, I can't remember it. But um, I think we're going to get more of her and uh, how she was sent by Otto Hightower, by the way, who seemed like a pretty good dude until he sent his daughter to, to, to the pigs uh, and 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 make make sure that she wears her mother's dress, like. You think that he is a good dude until he sends his daughter off to the king to like go be a, you know, a plaything. You know, does the king actually take advantage of that? You know, I didn't. I don't think he did in that moment. But it's not to say that he that you know doesn't happen again. Right, and it's not to say that you know. I mean, this guy's wife just did die, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, High, Otto Hightower is looking at it like I'm the hand of the king. And if I'm going to continue to be relevant here, I have to attach myself some way to this king. And if that has to be through my daughter, that's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, there's there's no one that is a moral compass yet. And that is interesting. It's an interesting way in. But I guess when you're dealing with the Targaryens and the height of their power and their moral compass as it stands – you're probably not going to get one of those. No, that's why I'm saying, like, I don't think there's going to be a good person. And if you're a good person, you die. If there is one good person that I feel like could come in. It's Graham McTavish. (laughs) No, it's, it's. uh, I'm, I'm voting on him. I'm voting you know on you're, you're not Princess Rhaenyra's trusty knight, we're Graham probably, McTavish. I, I, we're probably going to get more of him, but here's a, here's a dark horse. Okay. Tristan Cole. 
Who's that? That's the guy that beat Damon and said, instead of killing him, he said, yield. Yes. That's a guy I think- And then he wanted the princess's favor. Right. That's a guy I feel like mm, he had could like the be 90s an issue. hair. Oh, yeah. He's like straight from the cast of Boy Meets World. Oh, absolutely. Okay, yep. He's the yeah, uh, the I'm Sean, uh, what's his name? Uh, Just Sean. We'll yeah, call Sean, him Sean. Sean, sure. Whatever. He's probably going to die. Uh, I don't know. I think that guy has been set up to be a thing. Okay. Like for the, the fact that he beats Damon the way that he does and allows him to live. Yep. I think that's a huge thing. I agree. By the way, that scene, the jousting scene, I know it was intercut with the birthing scene, mm-hmm. but the jousting scene was beautifully shot. Especially that shot that was when, it, like, it's from a perspective and they have the um, the, the giant, I can't remember the name of the goddamn thing, but the the, the big joust, mm-hmm. right? And, they're, and they're, they're riding at each other. Mm-hmm. Like, that shot was stunning. Agreed. And you know what I'm also a big fan of? Uh, one of our listeners said they, they were getting a spirit Halloween feel from it. But I loved Damon's armor. In fact, all of the armor, especially like the high tower armor with the big, the big tower oh, with, yes. uh, with the fire, that stuff is all. Pardon the pardon the turn of phrase, but flames, just like really great stuff. Did you get a spirit Halloween feel from Damon's armor, mm, or did you like it? <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure that we saw those as Halloween costumes. I don't last care. Year. Loved. I I loved. I think Damon's a. I love his armor, number one, but I think he's an interesting character because, like, there's that scene where he obviously he can't perform, and why? Like, is it self-loathing? Is it hatred? He's, he's just got a lot on his mind. That's what I'm getting at. It, yeah, I, it's I, to me, it wasn't that um, you know because we've seen performance issues in the past when the person wasn't interested in that partner for one reason or another, and like obviously he likes that woman. She flirts with them later on when they're having some drinks and he's saying bad stuff, and then also he takes her on the dragon at the end. So right. to me, it wasn't like a performance issue that he didn't like that partner, nor is it that he's never done that before. To me, it was like yes. Yeah, is what we do all the time yeah. but I took it as I've got a lot on my mind yeah and when you consider the fact that he just <laughs> basically dismembered all of the criminals in in yeah. uh, I mean, in that King's Landing for me. Uh, yet at the same time we have such a, a great moment of vulnerability when he does comfort Rhaenyra and like it's it felt genuinely honest to me and I really love the fact that Matt Smith who you know we've all associated with Doctor Who uh, after all these years. Someone who feel like when you and like if you're a fan of The Crown, you knew him as um, Prince Philip. Wasn't he Prince Tarzan? Uh, no, that was um, uh, what the heck was his name? I, don't know. I, I can't remember the, the guy's name. Um, hold on, I'll 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 get it. Um, Alexander. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, Good, because I was looking at him and I, I was thinking, you couldn't have been Tarzan. You're not hot enough. No, he's not. Um, but he, he's he's kind of weird looking, yeah. but in an attractive way. No, all Targaryens are weird looking um, on purpose. Well, yeah. It happens when you have incest. That's true. But I think Matt Smith is a person that's capable of, and especially in light of this episode, I think he's capable of being that person that you can honestly believe wants to do the right thing. But also snide enough to keep pushing people like he does with Otto Hightower. Mm-hmm. And a little tapped enough to do what he does to all the criminals 
in King's Landing, but believe he's doing the right thing. Not because he's, you know, a, a chaos monger, but because, no, I'm doing this thing because you told me to do it. You told me to take take care of this place. And guess what? We're having all these people come to King's Landing, and this place is going to be safe because of me. Not you, me. Like, I think Matt Smith is capable of delivering on this character. What do you think? No, I, I totally agree. And I like the complexity you know, that he does have, you know, for example, when he's telling the princess, okay, you're the one that has to go say Dracarys, like, you need to light the fire to mm-hmm. burn up your mom and your brother. Um, so I think I'm excited about his complex character, because I think he's actually the only one who I have seen multiple sides of from this episode. So he's the most complex character so far, based upon the pilot, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the show is doing an honest effort to give Rhaenyra some more characterization. Like off the jump, we see that she is a, um, you know, maybe a mid teen uh, who clearly is rough and tumble. Uh, She's like Arya Stark, but she's like a blend of Arya and Sansa at the same time. Someone who doesn't really want to listen to the patriarchy, loves riding dragons, wants to do her own thing, but also somebody who respects the, the royalty of it all. And it it seems to appreciate the pageantry Mm -hmm. of, of it all as well. Um, So there, there aren't these, and I hate to say it, but there aren't these archetypes that you can invest in. They're all kind of muddied because they're all things at, at once. I guess in reality, they're, they're people like they're real people. Well, yeah. And it's the premiere and we don't know them enough. Yeah. I also am interested to see um, what the relationship is like between the princess and her best friend. I don't know if there's anything more to that. Yeah, I feel like uh, there's something alluded to there, yeah. Yeah, particularly from the best friend's perspective, whether it's romantic, whether it's I have other motives. Um, so I was seeing a lot of conflict from the best friend. The princess, I just feel like she's living la-di-da. But the best friend, sometimes it looked sad to me. And to me, I didn't know if it's because she's longing for Princess Rhaenyras or if her dad's been grooming her that mm-hmm. you're going to need to sleep with one of the Targaryens in some way, shape or form. That is your duty. Once again, like your job is child rearing and you're going to have to sleep with someone in her family. Yep. All right. One last final hot take that I have. Lord Corliss mentions this big problem happening in the East. Don't sleep on that. I think the guy's name that he, he, he said was Kragus. That's the name that was causing this uprising in the East. Don't sleep on this. uprising. sounds like a pirate. Yeah, I think that's what it's meant to be. Oh, I like it. It's like like parts of the Caribbean. I think this is going to be an issue. And it's 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 a blink and you'll miss moment and it's one of those things that like it was thrown in and you think, "Oh, it's just conversation," but I I I think this is bigger than what it's led to believe. Okay. So that is that. Marvin, you got anything else for that is it. this? All right, that's it. Let's close it out, shall we? First episode of House of the Dragon. Oh, interesting. All right, here we go. As 
we said earlier in this episode, we would love to connect with you. We're very, very active on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And after each episode, we do put up a post on Facebook and Instagram asking for your feedback as you get to hear us read some earlier ones. That's where it happens. So the the night of the episode airing, you head on over to Mary and Blake on Facebook or Instagram. Let us know your thoughts and your uh, GBG, your Flames rating, may be read on our podcast. And also, too, do consider giving us a voicemail we love including your voice, your actual voice in this podcast. So go to maryandblake.com, click on the voicemail button, and it'll go right to our voicemail box. You don't have to worry about me answering the phone. It'll go straight to it. And it works directly from your iPhone or your your desktop that you're on or whatever, whatever smart device you're on. It works that way as well. And none, none of this is possible without our members at jointhenerdclan.com. That is a very special place, a place that you don't want to miss out on. We have a bunch of extra stuff, extra things that are happening, extra episodes of Mary and Blake Media, um, book clubs, early uh, instant reactions or knee-jerk reactions to other shows that we're not necessarily podcasting about, but we do want to talk about. Uh, If you find that you love shows like Succession or Obi-Wan or um, The Umbrella Academy, we're we're doing knee-jerk reactions to those shows, among many others at jointhenerdclan.com. And of course, free swag. Everybody wants free swag from uh, from Mary and Blake Media because it's the best swag on the planet. We want to thank Roxanne FS, who has already written a review for House of Dragon with Mary and Blake on Apple Podcasts. She wrote, Dragons, yay. I'm so stoked to watch the show with one of my favorite podcaster duos. Love your other podcast and being a part of the Nerd Clan. Roxanne, thank you so much, friends. You know what, Roxanne? For being the first reviewer, you send me a message. Send me a message at maryandblakemedia at gmail.com and I'm sending you something free from the Mary and Blake store. Okay? So so that's it. I I really appreciate the uh, the effort there. And that's that. My name's Mary. My name is Blake. And we've been in the House of the Dragon. All right.